Sport. You are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So before we get to today's question, we like to share with the listeners what we have been watching lately, and we have deemed this segment Flick Picks. So Ryan, why don't you kick things off? Sure. I revisited a movie that I hadn't seen since, I want to say, my junior year of college, maybe my senior year of college, Only Angels Have Wings, which is the 1939 Howard Hawks movie. and. Uh, I had a positive impression of this movie from seeing it all that long ago. Obviously, I've seen many, many more movies since then. That was a film that they showed for the week that I was in a film class in college. It was run out of our English department, and I got annoyed that out of the first week of classes, it was a three days a week class, we spent two of the classes talking about multi-camera sitcoms and how the cameras were set up. And I was like, I don't want this. So... (laughs) Uh, ended up dropping the class the second week. I did see this. They showed it in like one of the like bigger auditoriums on campus so that we had like a nice big, you know, projected screen. And then I dropped the class and just kept the textbook because I was like, mm, this is not what I wanted. But this movie definitely left an impression on me. Uh, I think at that point I hadn't, I had yet to see Casablanca even. And I think our professor said that he preferred this movie to Casablanca, which, okay. But, uh, <laughs> But I wanted to revisit it. It was on the Criterion channel. I think at the time you're listening to this, this is not on there because it's only on there for until May. But it is a Criterion disc release, which I do plan on picking up now that I've seen the film and uh, or seen the film again. And really, and my memory lived up to the experience of watching it. Uh, it stars Cary Grant and Gene Arthur. It takes place in in Panama, I think, Central or South America. Uh, with a bunch of pilots that are delivering the mail and it's really dangerous because it's the 1930s and you know aviation is still new but they're pilots she has kind of a mysterious past and it's all about the relationships that they form the dedication in the in the face of uncertain death and fog and you know it's this really fun kind of adventure romance thing and it's Gene Arthur falls in love with uh, Cary Grant after one of his, you know, co-workers dies in the fog. And the the whole thing is like, it's, it's a, like a forbidden romance because she's just like waiting for him to die. And, you know, I think that's a common Howard Hawks thing is like the man that does the dangerous work and the women that, the, the women that love them, you know, and it's, it's also, there's a thread through his movies, like it's in this and Red River and even To Have and Have Not, which is much more in line with Casablanca, that is... There's kind of this like, why are we even doing this mentality to a lot of the work that's going on in these movies, whether it be flying mail planes or doing a cattle drive or being a boat captain or whatever it is. Like it's, you know, there's a lot of like, this is dangerous work. Why are we even doing it? And, you know, does this make us manlier men and, and that kind of stuff? So it's it's a really, it's a really fun movie. Both Cary Grant and Gene Arthur give great performances and uh, it's it's got a lot of mood to it, which I really appreciated. Oh, cool. Yeah, I actually haven't seen it. So I'll have to add it to my list. I'm glad to hear that it is a Criterion release. I do have the channel, but like you said, it's probably off already. Uh, Yeah, I think it's leaving May 31st. So you have a little bit of time, but I'm not sure whenever this comes out, how much time the listeners will have. And like I said, the, the, the cover art for the disc release is cool. And when they announced it, I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen that movie before. And, you know, I like using the Criterion disc releases that are on the channel as a way to watch something and then later purchase the disc so that it's not yet another me, you know, spending a bunch of money on a movie that I have not seen because that... That's, that could be hit or miss. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do the blind buy often, but it's always, you know, upsetting when you buy one and then you watch it and you're like, well, I'm probably never going to watch this again, but yep. I own it. <laughs> but I own it now. Yeah, and especially because, you know, Criterion releases are obviously on the pricier side. I try to limit like when it's a sale. I'm right. like, okay, I'm going to buy six of these. At least three have to be ones I've seen before. That's like my rule is that like I have to do 50-50. Right. I mean, and the point of buying the Criterion is often you want the special features anyway. Definitely. Even if it is something you've seen a bunch of times, it you know, I feel it's a good investment because now 
you're getting all of that extra stuff. And I think they do a great job of getting great people to interview or, you know, are historians about the film. And that's really why I feel, even if I've seen the movie a bunch, like I just bought the Leave Her to Heaven Blu-ray from Criterion. And I'm just excited to dig into the special features that are on it. And I love the little booklets that they put inside. Yeah, it, it's it's still my favorite, like physical package that they put together uh, with, you know, the supplements, with the artwork that they commissioned with the, the essays and stuff. It's I always enjoy it. But it's always nice to know to have that certainty when I buy it of like, oh, yes, this is a movie I like. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take more of a chance on the Kino Lorber buys mm-hmm. because they tend to be more on the cheaper side that if I end up not liking the film, the film, it's like, oh, it only costs me seven, eight dollars. So I don't feel as put out as when, you know, with the criterion, you might sometimes spend 20, 25. Yeah, yeah even during a sale. So right. That's why that that's my approach. But now that I've revisited this movie, I'll definitely be purchasing it, purchasing it probably during the next Criterion sale. Cool. Thanks for the recommendation. I actually just recently watched, and this was on the TCM app, the 1953 Henry Hathaway film Niagara, which stars Marilyn Monroe, Joseph Cotton, and Jane Peters. And Jane Peters plays a lady named Polly, and her and her husband Ray are on a late honeymoon to Niagara Falls. And while there, they get entangled with Marilyn Monroe and her husband, who is played by Joseph Cotton. And Marilyn is attempting to bump off her husband. Basically, she wants to have him murdered, and then she wants to run away with her new lover. Honestly, in watching this film, I don't think I ever have seen Marilyn play like a femme fatale or a villain type character. And it was really interesting to me. And and I liked it a lot. Have you seen this one? Uh, I have not. But I did notice it on the TCM app. And I was deciding whether I should try to squeeze it in. I think you totally should. It definitely has quite a bit of a noir vibe to it. Uh, And when watching it, I... I will often check out the host intros on the TCM app. And this one was introduced by Alicia Malone. And she mentioned during the introduction how the Niagara Falls, the setting actually ends up being like a character within the film as well. And that it was very important to the filmmaker and the cinematographer that when they were shooting the movie there, they wanted to show Niagara Falls like as much as possible. And I think they did a wonderful job of just showing the setting. I had mentioned to you, I think, earlier, I have never been there. This was almost like, I feel, an advertisement to make me want to visit Niagara Falls because it just looks like such a fun place to go. And I believe you said you have been there before. Yeah, uh, we went there in 2018 because Jack White was playing a, uh, doing a tour and he wasn't playing in Philadelphia. And one of the closest places that he was playing is outside of Buffalo. And so we made kind of a, you know, just made a road trip out of it. Because uh, from Philadelphia, it's like six, six and a half hours, I think. It's not that bad of a drive. And, you know, I was like, all right, well, since we're there, we we're going to go to Niagara Falls because I've never seen it. And, you know, I'm not going to be that close to there and then not go. And it was really fun. We were there in August. And I think we went to the falls itself a couple times, actually, because it was just close by. And it's even dur- like during the, at least on a weekday, it wasn't terribly crowded. I was actually expecting more crowds of people, but there's so many areas to stand along it and around it that I didn't ever feel like I was being like oppressively crowded. Okay. And the U S side is just like a nice park. And then there's some stuff that's like in the, like the town proper, I guess. And then from the falls, you can walk across the bridge into Canada with your passport, which was super fun. And then the Canadian side has like, it's almost like a, a, like a slightly nicer Jersey shore boardwalk. Like there's a wax museum there. There's like haunted house type attractions. There's like go-karts and junk food and all kinds of stuff to do. Or There's a Ripley's Believe It or Not, I think. What's interesting is my 
Canadian friend who writes for Movie John, Ashley Jane, she says that the Canadians call their part of Niagara Falls like Las Vegas. Like it's kind of, you know, their version of that, which from what I understand how you're describing, it's like night and day, you know, the the U.S. side and then the Canadian side. Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's almost like I would describe like the the American side is a little depressing. Okay. Okay. Well, the movie, they are on the Canadian side, but you don't really see kind of that boardwalk feel at all. Mm -hmm. Like they're more painting this like, oh, it's a serene place. And again, I could definitely tell from the film, like, oh yeah, it seemed like a tourist trap, which I'm more about isolated like lake settings when I go on a trip. Mm -hmm. But it's still, the way it was captured, it looked beautiful. Like, I think I would really enjoy going there at least for a couple days. Yeah, and I think there's enough places in that general area where you could probably stay somewhere that was more rustic. And then drive over to the Falls area, spend the whole day doing that, and then go back and chill out. Like, we, we stayed, I forget what the name of the town is, but we stayed... It took us maybe like 15 or 20 minutes to get to the falls. Like we didn't stay in Niagara Falls proper on either side. So uh, that might be the way to do it. Yeah. I And again, I highly encourage you checking this movie out. I, I noticed again, well, Ben keeps pointing it out to me too, as we're watching some of these movies, but it's another 20th Century Fox film. And I immediately looked it up after watching it to see if I could purchase it. And it seems like it might be a little difficult to track down. So I'd say if you can catch it on TCM to do so, there are just some interesting scenes with Marilyn. One of the things I liked the best was like she takes a shower and then gets out of the shower and like her makeup is absolutely perfect. And I always just find that interesting about her films. Like she just always looks amazing. Yeah, I feel I feel like she had a lot of contractual stuff like that. Oh, really? I yeah. should read more about that because I find it fascinating. This movie's in color, right? Yes. Yeah, because she had a thing in her contract that they had to get an exception for for her to do some like it hot because that was being filmed in black and white. And like in her contract, she could only be in color films. Oh, wow. And I it's funny you say that because I saw recently someone and it was just like online, like Twitter or something, but someone commented, oh, I think Niagara would have been better in black and white. And Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been interesting to see it that way. But now that you're saying this, I wonder if she had something to do with it being in color. Because like when she wakes up from her nap, she's wearing like this bright cherry red lipstick. And it's just always is funny to me how, you know, she can wake up and she's just absolutely beautiful. And it's just so unrealistic, but you're fine with it because it's Marilyn. Oh, yeah, totally. It's uh, I I enjoy especially i think as i've gotten a little older i think i enjoy the fantasy of of movie life just more yes and she's like the epitome of that definitely definitely so rosalie what's our what's our question this week yeah so we had a question come in dear i saw in a movie I am moving to a very big city from the very very small city i have always lived in i'm very excited about it but also a little nervous any good advice for helping with the transition? Thank you. Sure. So immediately, immediately when I read this question, I had the answer. And that is from Richard Donner's 1978 film, Superman the Movie, because what else embodies moving from a small town to a big city than moving from Smallville, Kansas to the big city of Metropolis? This is a movie that I've loved my entire life. I believe the first time I saw it, it was like somebody brought the tape to like our, like it wasn't kindergarten because it was like summer camp kind of thing, but we used to watch movies. Well, you know, at the end of the day when we were waiting for kids to get picked up and I think somebody had brought in the VHS tape and I was just completely entranced by the movie. As a kid, I was more of a Batman fan than a Superman fan, but 
I think what I've always loved about this movie is that it captures that it feels very 1930s, 1940s throughout the entire thing, even though like it's it's very artificial. Like it's not trying to be a period movie per se, because I think they use the structure in a way that's very interesting. So it starts as this like sci-fi movie where you get a little bit of like what Krypton is like before baby Superman gets uh, blasted to Earth to escape the destruction of his planet. And then you get this kind of like pastoral America, kind of very Norman Rockwell-esque upbringing on the Smallville farm with Ma and Pa Kent. And just the way that like the fields are shot and like him like running, like it's just, it's very peaceful and it's very uh, like tranquil and it feels very like, like, like a pure version of America. And then he gets to Metropolis as an adult and you get this like, almost like a screwball comedy uh, with him and Lois Lane. And, you know, he shows up and they get mugged in an alley, but obviously he can't reveal that he's Superman. So he's like, you know, listen, buddy, like you can't solve society's problems with a gun. Like I understand why you're turning to crime, but you can't, you know, and, and he's like, Oh, you make a good point. I'm going to start right after I rip off this lady's purse and their camaraderie. And I, I think there's a lot, there's a lot in here about actually like, you know, not only just embodying your identity as who you are as an adult, but also, you know, making that transition from rural to very, very urban. And I think what I love about Clark Kent in part is that he retains, this is an idealized course, but he, he retains that sense of that idealism in America. And he is clearly nervous about being in the city you know, even despite being Superman, because he's not sure how it goes. And Lois Lane constantly makes fun of him for coming from a small town. And he talks to uh, when he's hired at the Daily Planet, he's like, can you arrange for like part of my salary? And she's like, oh, let me guess to send to his like, you know, his his bookie or his dear old mother. And, you know, she's like, I, I think he calls her like a gray hair old mother. And, and he goes, actually, her hair is silver. <laughs> like, you know, and, and he he's very like all shucks. And you know, you can imagine him saying Nito and in a completely earnest way. And there's something that's really at the core of who Clark Kent is as a person and him coming into conflict with Lex Luthor, who describes himself as a criminal genius. You know, their worldviews are completely different. And I think what makes Clark Kent slash Superman such an inspiring and interesting character is that he maintains that sort of sense of idealism and optimism and wanting to help people because he sees the best in them. And he is a selfless person, you know, even as he's being tutored by his father played by Marlon Brando in the fortress of solitude. And he's like, look, you can't, you need to be both human and Superman because you can't help people 24 seven, but you also deserve to live your own life. And here's a way to balance that by having this secret identity. And it's, I don't know. I think it's really cool that it's, very comic booky in that sense where it's just very like matter of fact like here's we're gonna state why we're doing what we're doing and like it's not gonna overcomplicate it but it always lets the characters behave like people and i think even though there's a lot of heightenedness to the like the production design and the feel of the movie i think it really it gives me that same i think liking this movie for so much of my life has helped me watch older movies a little bit better if that makes sense to go back to the thing you were saying about when he moves to metropolis even though yeah he does seem like a fish out of water he doesn't change i feel like his ideals of who he is still stays the same so like when you were saying about how lois makes fun of him because he's just like a 1950s like polite like, he's just so well-mannered, but he doesn't let the city change that. And that's what I think is so cool. Like, even though he is, he moves to the city and it's so different from where he's from and how he was brought up, he's still the same. You know, he's still going to be polite. He's still going to be well-mannered. And I just, I love that about the character. Because I think sometimes when people move to a new place, they're like, that's it, new identity, like new me. And he's like, no, I'm just in a different place, but I'm still going to be me. Yeah. And it's, and I think, I think that's 
exactly why I thought of this too, you know, and he does obviously manage to make friends and colleagues and everything, build a life for himself, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't get that sort of city cynicism, but I think that Lois certainly, and you know, Lois and uh, the chief both definitely represent in working at the Daily Planet where it's all at one point, like Lois Lane is like typing something and Jimmy's like, oh, what are you working on? And she's like an ode to spring. She's like, by the way, how do you spell massacre? <laughs> like they're very much in that sort of blood and guts, news, crime, fire, all that kind of stuff. And it's not that he's not going to write about that as a reporter, but as Superman, he's going to do his best to change those things and improve people's lives. And I think his him not changing is what makes him an inspirational figure because Again, he's not letting it change his outlook and how he sees other people, but he's still accepting that other people do view the world in that sort of more cynical, jaded way. I also want to go back to when you were talking about when they did get mugged, because I also, too, just recently rewatched this film. And I'll say I probably hadn't seen it since I was like a small child. So watching it again, it was almost like watching it for the first time me because I really didn't remember a lot from it. But when that scene happened with the mugging, it was just the way that he handled it. Like he didn't get all hysterical. He was just like, listen, you don't need to do this. But like very calm and like still polite. And it was just, and I remember like, you know, seeing Lois's face, like while it's all happening. And it, it was just, again, a really good scene of showing who his character was and who he was as a person. And I think that that is just a great point to make about when you're moving to a new city. Like, it just doesn't mean that you have to change who you are. Bring your personality. And, and that's what's cool about living in a city, too. You meet all sorts of different types of people from all over. And everybody comes from these different backgrounds. And I think that's what's cool like and fun about living, especially in a large city. Yeah, and, and I think it makes sense that, you know, someone like Clark Kent, who is both from an alien planet and from a small town, would find a home in a place like Metropolis that is much more cosmopolitan and you know accepting of, of weird things that are going on and and i think again that mugging scene really is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie because it's such a showcase for christopher reeve's performance and the way that he carries himself as clark is like the way he, that he shifts his posture and his body weight and i really love that like like you said it would be so easy to make him like freak out and be like overplay being really scared. But instead he's still a strong personality and a strong individual, but he's just more of like a pacifist. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's definitely afraid, but he's not, he's still able to talk to the guy and he's still taking charge of the situation and still standing up for himself in a way that is reasonable and also extremely polite. Uh, you know, whereas Lois is much more like kind of giving the guy a taste of his own medicine is kind of her move. I also like how Clark is never embarrassed about who he is or where he came from, or that like he doesn't know everything, especially, and honestly, if you're moving to a big city and you've never lived in one, like, yeah, there's going to be things that you don't know and that's okay. And hopefully you meet someone like a Lois that can like kind of show you the ropes, so to speak, of living in a city because it is obviously very different than when you live in a small town. Uh, I didn't live in a very small town growing up, but it definitely was a lot smaller than Philadelphia. And I'll say moving to a big city, it can be a bit intimidating. Yeah, I've lived uh, in and around the Philadelphia area pretty much my whole life. So I don't really have that same experience to draw on. But, you know, I definitely grew up far enough out of the city center where, like, and even when I went to college, which was outside of the city completely, you know, I had friends that would ask me to come with them when they were going to like a concert at the TLA on South Street because they were like, oh, I, I get too nervous about where to park and like what areas are like safe and everything. And I'd be like, I'd be like yeah, fine, I'll, I'll definitely go with you. Trust me, it's not that it's not that big of a deal. Like you'll be fine. But if you want me to come with you, then I'd be happy to show show you the inside track and and where to go and everything. So I think both staying true to who you are and building those connections in your new place is really the the like the two keys to success. 
for, for moving anywhere. Yeah. And you will find that if you meet somebody that's lived in the city for a long time, chances are they're probably going to want to share the information with you. Like, especially like, oh, here's a cool place to get a drink or, you know, to grab food. People love sharing information. And so I would say wherever, if you're starting a new job somewhere, talk to your coworkers and see where they go after work. Usually people are always going to be kind enough to share things like that. Definitely. Uh, so Rosalie, what, what did you think of uh, in reading this question? Yeah. So I actually picked the movie Pick Up on South Street, which it's really interesting, but I watched it right before I watched Niagara. And I didn't realize until we started watching Niagara that one of the actors in Pick Up on South Street was also in that, Gene Peters. And it was interesting because it took me a while to realize in Niagara that it was her. Because in Pick Up on South Street, she plays this lady, Candy, who is like a complete night and day character from what she plays in Niagara, which is like this sweet little, I would say, housewife. And Pick Up on South Street, she's almost like a lady of the night. Uh, so it was very just, wow, I, I was very impressed with this actor. And I want to check out more of her stuff. But the reason I picked this movie, it's directed by Samuel Fuller. I don't know if you've watched any of his films, but I recently started watching more and more of his stuff. And this was actually the first movie of his that I watched that kind of led me down that path. And it is a movie from 1953, and it's basically about a pickpocket who is played by Richard Widmark. The character's name is Skip McCoy, and he ends up pickpocketing from this woman, Candy, from her purse. He pulls out a piece of, I guess, well, it's like an envelope, but inside is microfilm. And the microfilm was supposed to be going to a meeting that was being held by communists. So it kind of had, it, it's definitely of that era. Well, of course, he thought that he was just taking money. So he ends up with this microfilm. And throughout the film, then, is basically a target for this spy ring because they're trying to get the film back. But why I picked it for this question is because I feel like it's kind of addressing a couple things. Like when you move to a city, like taking transit, because the movie opens with them on the train and the actual pickpocketing happening. And I just kind of wanted to get your impression, Ryan, like when you moved to Philadelphia or near Philadelphia, like what was your feeling on taking transit? Were you afraid or were you like, you couldn't wait to take it? Yeah. I mean, we didn't, my, so I had grandparents that lived uh, in the city. And so I would be down there often enough where taking transit, like the scariest part about taking transit was more being on my own doing it rather than just like being able to follow them. But I enjoy any train, any kind of transit that is rail based because buses make me nervous because it's, it's like the stops, you know what I mean? Like the trains, there's fixed stops. And so I know if I get on the train and as long as I'm going in the right direction, I can like count how many stops there are. But on a bus, if I don't know where I'm going, I get nervous that I'm going to like lose track of time and then go like way past where I'm supposed to be, miss where I'm supposed to get off, you know, for some reason, for one reason or another. So I'm, I'm still living in the suburbs now. I'm still mostly car based, but anytime I can take uh, like I said, a train or the subway or a trolley, uh, I'm much more comfortable with with transit. But I, I agree. Like I definitely had friends that when I had spent some time in Washington, D.C. that were super nervous about uh, taking the metro, which we always use when we would take uh, trips down there when I was a kid. So I was like, look, it's, you know, it's not that hard. You get your ticket, you put it through the thing, you figure out where you're going to go. And so I, I've definitely been more of that helper person uh, in my adult life than being nervous about it myself, but I agree it's it's intimidating. And uh, we've talked about traveling in foreign countries before, and that takes me right back to not knowing anything. Yeah. When I moved to Philadelphia, I had transferred to Temple University. Before I started going to school there, it was a big question of like, okay, well, how am I going to get from my apartment to the school? Because I lived 
quite far away. And I was like so scared to take transit. And my uncle, who was living in Philadelphia at the time, was really the one who, similar to you, like being a helper, like convinced me where he's like, listen, it's not that big of a deal. You get on here, you count the number of stops. And if you miss it, like, then just get back on. You know, when he said that, like, it made me realize, okay, I'm making like this huge thing out of it. But I also realized in living here, yeah, I mean, sometimes you ask people instruction or direction and they're rude, but then sometimes there are people who will actually help you. So there's been a couple times where, especially when I was going to Temple, like if my train was down and I had to take a different one, if I asked, usually somebody would help. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something else about living in the city that you kind of have to get used to is talking to other people, which I know, again, coming from a smaller area, you just don't really have those interactions as regularly with just random strangers. So you have to kind of get used to like, okay, if I don't know what I'm doing, like I need to ask. Again, you might run into people that are rude, but then some people are going to be nice and help you out. Uh, but you also want to be careful of the skips out in the world because <laughs> you right. don't want to find yourself pickpocketed, which that has never happened to me, actually. I, I feel like I'm very paranoid about uh, pickpocketing. Like I have always kept my wallet in my side pocket and not in my back pocket. And then when I'm on transit, or like in a crowd of people, like I'm always sort of checking like, okay, my wallet's still there. My phone is still there. Like, and it's just, it's almost like a nervous tick, but because it is kind of protecting me at least a little bit, uh, I feel justified in still doing it. But, you know, and then when we went to Europe, I bought one of those things that like put your passport and your IDs and stuff like in a thing that goes around your neck and then like under your shirt so that people can't get to it because you one of those people yeah i mean it, i got like the smallest one so that it like wouldn't be you know crazy obvious like i wasn't carrying like a whole fanny pack around my neck yeah that's like screaming right i'm american right wearing white sneakers because i felt like when we were in europe i saw like so many americans and they would be wearing like white sneakers yeah i don't think i own any pure white sneakers actually so I was safe there. But I was like, okay, you're just totally telling everyone that you are a Taurus because you're wearing brand new sneakers that you bought clearly for this trip. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I understand about the nervous ticks because honestly, like even before like my first day of school at Temple, like my roommate was laughing at me, but I like took what I referred to as a dry run where like I just took the train the night before because I was like, well, I want to see how long it'll take me mm -hmm. to get to school. And I want to make sure that I get off at the right spot. And she's like, oh my God, the train goes one way. Like, you're not going to get off at the wrong spot. But she just let me go through because she knew it would put me at ease. Uh, but I, I haven't been pickpocketed, but I have lost my wallet on the train before. Uh, it had fallen out of my bag. And, like, I realized it as the train was pulling away. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And that is like the worst feeling because I will mention that as well. Like, you want to be careful with your belongings on transit because I feel like once it's gone, it's gone. Yep. Especially in a city, like people are not going to turn it in, most likely. And if they do, obviously everything will be taken out of it. Right. Because, yeah, that wallet was gone. Like, I never saw it again. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because it's it's just, yeah, I'm just very, just, it's it's developing that sense of awareness to keep track of, like, where all your stuff is. And, and mistakes happen, obviously, and, you know, it's okay to, to make mistakes and to see them as a learning experience, for sure. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned your dry run, because something that I do is I will, like, when I'm going to a city that I'm not as familiar with, uh, especially if I plan on taking transit, I will like, look at the route of where I'm supposed to go. And then I will like, look at the like Google Maps, like street view of like where and like figure out where the su subway like entrance is that I'm supposed to use and stuff. So I will try to like visualize as much as possible 
and like make notes about things, especially if I'm traveling abroad, uh, where I might not be easily able to ask somebody in English for direction. So I'm, I'm all about doing whatever prep work you need to make yourself feel comfortable and ready. Yeah, I think, you know, especially now, that's a lot easier to do, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of, especially, you know, depending which city you're going to, a lot of them have transit website, and they'll have the schedules and the maps. And then to your point, like you can look it up on Google Street View and see exactly what you're getting yourself into. But yeah, when I moved to Philadelphia 10 years ago or so, well, longer than that now, but there was no smartphones. So, right. you know, you were basically on your own. But I will say that the day that I did lose my wallet, like obviously, so I, I was at school and then when I had to go back home, I was like, oh great, like how am I going to get home? Because this was like, again, pre like cell phone. I, I believe I had a cell phone, but like it was never on because my right. battery was always dead because like I didn't use it that much. And to get back home, luckily the conductor that was on the train like knew me just from like going back and forth to school all the time that he just let me on for free because he knew I had a pass right right but I guess that was the other thing I was going to mention is you'd be surprised and it happens often in this pickup on South Street how a city is almost like a small town you run into the same people it's kind of interesting how often that will happen, even though you're in a big city, you'll just see the same people over and over again. And a lot of it has to do with obviously like routines and schedules that you're on. It's like those people are also on the same schedule, but then it's also just too, especially if you have similar interests or things of that nature, you'll just run into the same people. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, all, and there's so many people that have their own routine in their lives and your routine happens to overlap with their routine. And, you know, you'll definitely start to see familiar places, you know, in your neighborhood and the places that you frequent. Yeah. And one of the other things that I really like about this movie, too, is that there is a scene where Skip always goes to get coffee, like a diner type place. And that made me think, too, how... When you move to a city, it's so fun to like find the places like that, like diners or little bars or restaurants that you like to frequent and you just feel, oh, this is a place I can come and relax. Uh, and I don't know, I think that's what I love living in a, in a city so much is that there's like all of these unique places to go. Yeah, and there's so much so much that you get to see just by walking around places, you know, that you wouldn't even just notice. Like just, oh, maybe one day after work, like walk a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even one block makes makes a huge difference. And now as an adult, like I'm in the city enough where I know what streets I like to walk down because they have cool things that I like a shop that like, yeah, I may never go in there uh, frequently, but I, I like to look at their window display or just see what they what they're doing or like, oh, I remember there was a building under construction. Like, I wonder what progress they've made. You know, it's it's those kinds of little things that make uh the city just so exciting because it is it's very alive i feel like in a way that you know even the suburbs aren't you know the suburbs you have that one spot down the block that like it changes what kind of restaurant it is every eight months or something like that but the city is full of stuff uh like that and and interesting weird things and you know the kinds of places where you're like i don't even know how this is a business like <laughs> Right. Like I never see anybody go in or come out of there or like they always seem to be closed. Like there's something weird going on and it's stuff like that. It's like finding a great sandwich that you discover at a place, you know, because somebody at work told you about it or whatever. Cities are fun. And I, I always like, you know, as much as I like getting away to the country, I also like visiting other cities and discovering those things. Yeah, it's funny because I, I do bike to work. And I will say that it's very rare in the morning that I will change my path of how I get from my house to the office. But when I go home, I will often change it up, similar to what you were saying about going like 
different, you know, pathways or walkways because I want to see like, oh, I wonder what's going on on Walnut Street. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take that home today. I just don't do that as much going in because I'm usually running late. And I just know like, okay, this way takes me, you know, exactly 17 minutes. But sometimes when I'm going home, I will meander more. And, and then that's when I'll find like, ooh, there's a cool bar that just opened or a neat coffee shop. I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, things are always changing, which is cool. And I find that's a lot different from where I grew up because where I grew up, like it's basically the same businesses are still open as from when I was little. And the only thing that really changes about it is like maybe another family member takes it over. Right. But it basically stays the same. And there's so much, there's so many great things that cities have to offer in terms of culture and, you know, just in terms of like whatever kind of art you're into, uh, it, it will be there, whether it's, you know, movies or the stage or uh, music of any kind, uh, you know, and, and there's communities around those things and they're not always great and they're not always what you're looking for, but there's, there's always a way to find who your people are. Uh, and that sort of like found community is all over the place in the city. Which actually brings up another great point from this pickup on South Street. Richard Widmark, as I said, he plays a pickpocket. And there's a character named Mo Williams, who's played by Thelma Ritter, who I absolutely love. I watched a few of her films recently because my friend... Ashley Jane and I, we run a column on moviejohn.com called Classic Corners. And she was one of the actors that we autopsied recently. And her character is basically, she's sort of like an informant for the police, but she also kind of plays this middle ground of she's friends with the pickpockets and like knows them around the city. And it's, it's interesting when you said about finding your community, finding the people that you're comfortable with, because that's so much easier, like I feel, in a city setting. Whereas when I lived where I grew up, it, it wasn't as easy to connect with people that liked the same things I did or were into the same hobbies and interests. So it's good to find your people. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, that's kind of how I felt even from, you know, growing in an outer part, growing up in an outer part of Philadelphia, and then going to college, it was like, oh, I've, I found my people because now, even though I had a big high school, I never quite found the right group of people for me, you know, mm -hmm. where I feel like I didn't have to pretend to be a little bit different than I actually am, you know, where I could just sort of find people that accepted me for who they were for who I was. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And yeah, I, I think, you know, to your point as well, it's just what the city has to offer. Usually, whatever you're into, there's going to be somebody in the city that's into that too. So, and all you have to do is just find them. And now with the internet, doing that is so much easier, I think, because you could probably Google, you know, whatever city you're going to and whatever interests you have, and you'll find, oh, here's, you know, a place that puts on that type of music or art shows or what have you. Yeah, exactly. Cities are great. And as much as I sometimes idealize, you know, living alone in the woods, um, <laughs> I do like, I do like being able to take advantage of everything that cities have to offer. Yeah, Ben, my husband and I always talk about that, how like our dream is to live in an isolated lake house in Michigan, you know, but then we think about how, yeah, the conveniences that we're used to now, if we want really good coffee, well, we just have to bike like three blocks away and we can pick it up. It, like Things like that would be a lot harder to acquire. You would have to get everything delivered, which is kind of really not what we're all about mm -hmm. you know we like to get things local and especially something that oh i can just take my bike over to the bakery and pick up some donuts or bread i don't want to have to get it like flown in but yeah if you're living out in like isolation i guess unless you're making everything yourself 
you're you're going to have to get it from somewhere. Right. And you got to hope that the places by you are good. Whereas, you know, in the in the city, like there are a lot of places that are very good, but there's also a lot of competition. You know what I mean? So you get to know where the good spots are. And there's some places that are, oh, this is a pizza shop, but really their pizza isn't great. It's really their, their, their sandwiches that are actually like the real thing you want to get when you're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, that's why I feel too, like, Definitely try to find some folks that have lived in the city for a while because they can kind of steer you in the right direction. Because uh, I know whenever people come to visit Ben and I, biggest question they'll ask, no, Ben and I don't, we're vegetarian. They'll ask, where do I get a cheesesteak? And I don't eat them myself, but I can at least point them in the direction of like, well, these are definitely tourist traps. Yep. You know, these are the places that you know, the actual Philadelphians go. Mm -hmm. So I always think it's good to ask around and especially from people that have lived there for a while. Definitely. And the real thing of it is that cities aren't as scary as you might think. And I feel like as human beings, our sense of, you know, danger and unease in a situation, that kind of works to your advantage, whether or not you have experience in the city. This question also made me think of a Seinfeld episode where George meets a woman who works for uh, like the New York City Travel Bureau. And so he pretends to be from out of town. And at first he's thrilled because she makes all the plans. They always go to her place because he doesn't know anybody, you know, and it's all working out in his favor. And she's like, oh, man, George, like, I can't imagine you living here like this city would eat you alive. And like, you know, and then he hits it off with her and then like pretends to get his job. And then he like pretends to get an apartment. And like his thing to Jerry is like, look, you know, if you boil down all, everything I've accomplished in my entire life down to like a week, it looks really good. <laughs> and then obviously that because it's it's Seinfeld like there's a dramatic twist and he loses it all and you know his girlfriend is like see George I knew you'd never make it in the city a place that he's lived his entire life (laughs) yeah again I think like you said they aren't like cities are not as scary as they seem I will say initially to me it was intimidating but now I'm just so comfortable. And once you figure out a city, it makes it a lot easier to travel around too. Like I have found since living in Philadelphia, like I'm not as scared to go to New York because I'm like, oh, I know how transit works and I can figure it out. Uh, Whereas when I was younger, you know, New York terrified me. Like I was just like, I, I'm going to get lost. I don't know where I'm going. But, you know, once you figure out how, like, a transit system works, it helps you when you go to other places. Yeah, I think that's a great point, too. It's funny because New York is a place that we go up maybe two or three times a year uh, under normal circumstances. And I remember the first time that that, uh, Jill and I were like, oh, let's, like, go to Brooklyn and just, like, check out Brooklyn because it's, like, a cool hipster place now. Our parents were like, you can't go to Brooklyn. It's too dangerous. Like, what are you talking about? And like, I mean, that's part of how much just things in general have changed uh, because we both have family members that grew up in like the New York City area and like, you know, understood how bad it used to be. But it's, you know, I, I think right now where we're at, I think New York is actually for the size of the city and for how many people are there. I think New York is actually really easy to get around. And that's, that's a place where I've never, I've never had anybody be rude to me if I was asking for directions. Oh, really? Yeah. See, I guess when I've gone there, most of the time, I've always been with somebody who either lives there or is from there. So I've never like, even though I've gotten nervous, it's more just been about me getting from A to B, A being like my house to New mm-hmm. York. But then like once you. I'm in New York, it's like, oh, well, I'm with somebody in there. I'm just going to follow them around. Right, right, right. But I do feel like now if I was going to go there by myself, I wouldn't be as worried because mm-hmm. especially now too, like with my cell phone, you can figure things out fairly easily. And then there's always the when in doubt, just call a lift. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's an easy escape route for sure. Yeah. So and and that's something else too. I mean, I don't know which city you're picking, but I found here in Philadelphia, like with biking, I didn't start really biking till I got to know the city better. 
because it's hard to, well, I know we talked about this on a previous episode. Like when I went to Amsterdam, I did not bike because I didn't know my way around and I wasn't going to start trying to bike there because I felt like I have to be paying attention to the road, but then I don't know where I'm going and it's too difficult. That's something here in Philly I really didn't start doing till I got more comfortable. And I think that's with anything driving too. Like you just want to make sure like you're comfortable before you start doing it. Definitely. And, you know, go at your own pace and it's all about building, I think building a routine and then being able to like play those variations on it is uh, always a way to go for anything, but especially for this. Agreed. Before we sign off, don't forget you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print zine. And our current issue is out now and features films of the future. So make sure you subscribe by visiting moviejohn.com shop. You can also follow I Saw It In A Movie on social media at Twitter. Um, we are at I Saw It In A Movie. Or if you're seeking advice, you can send us questions to dear I saw in a movie at gmail.com. We also accept postal mail. So you can send us a letter at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145, Attention Movie John. And Ryan, where can people find you at on the internet? Uh, sure. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Silber, whatever. That's with a B. You can also find my writing in the pages of the newest movie, John, uh, as well as cinema76.com. And you can check out my other podcast, the Shame Falls podcast, which is a podcast about movies that are new to my wife and I, uh, or F Yet F1, which uh, I do about Formula One with a friend of the show, Ian Kimball. And you can find me on Instagram at The Old Sport or Twitter at Bonjour Old Sport. And you can also check out my writing at moviejohn.com. And I also have a bi-weekly podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find that wherever you catch your pods or download at moviejohn.com. And as for advice for this week, Ryan, what do you have? Sure. So mine comes from uh, where Clark has just been hired at the Daily Planet. Uh, Jimmy is talking to Lois and she and he goes, golly, Miss Lane, how come you get all the best stories? And Lois says, a good reporter doesn't get great stories, Jimmy. And then they walk into Perry White's office and Perry White is saying this to Clark, a good reporter makes them great. So he like finishes the line, which is really fun. But it's the same thing about your experience in moving to a city. It's not that a city can be great on its own, but to make your own story, you have to make it great. I like that. That is good advice. And my advice comes from Skip McCoy. He says, so you're red. Who cares? Your money's as good as anybody else's. And I think he is right. Who cares if you're a commie? You're great. <laughs> so thanks for listening. I had a lot of fun talking about this question, and I hope we get some more questions soon. But until then, um, remember, for every question, there's a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye-bye.